welcome to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. I'm Ashby, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth. Today we're going to be talking about sleep issues that affect older children, specifically in the 18-month to 3-year range. It seems like a lot of the questions and conversations we have about sleep focus on the newborn stage, the early babyhood. A lot of the sleep training advice talks about your baby, your six-month-old, when object permanence hits in. And often by 18 months, people are kind of in a good rhythm and they have a lot figured out. But then there's a bump in the road and um, people are often wondering, well, what's the technique now? My child can walk. My child can talk. Is it different than babies? So we're going to be discussing some of those issues with respect to the older children today. So I, I I don't know if some of the listeners here have noticed that some people comment on our on our Facebook group or on um, Alexis's blog that after sleep training their kids some of their kids you know magically will say something like I'm tired I'm ready for bed or they'll start pulling their mom's or dad's hand and head toward the bedroom and man my kids never did that and I promise they were sleep trained um, you know as soon as they could be. And would go to sleep just fine on their own. And then, boom, something happened at 18 months. We hit this big bump in the road. It took about a week, 10 days to iron it out. And then, you know, I thought everything was golden again. And then I don't know what it was. And I don't know how many people out there have had the same experience. But 24 months, same thing. Bedtime struggles. Took a couple weeks to iron out. And then, boom, right at, you know... <clears throat> about age, um, you know, two and a half, same thing. And right at age three, and I think we're in the clear now. My kids are now seven and four and a half, and we haven't had bedtime, like real bedtime struggles for quite a while. But they're such focused memories for me that um, I thought I could still comment on them today. So, Ashley, why don't we start with um, 18 months? What happened? So, well, 18 months, you know, most kids are almost certainly down to one nap at that age. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people, like you said, they think that sleep training would be one and done. And now your kid's just going to go to bed forever with no protesting. But the reality is just like anything else, if your child ate their vegetables really well one day, one day, you wouldn't expect that. Well, from now on, they will always eat their vegetables with no protesting. Now, these things come and go, and I think they become more aware of the world, maybe, and they don't want to miss. And maybe moms, maybe the new protest technique will work. Uh, I thought things were never supposed to change. That's so unfair. I'm the same person all the time, right? Right. Like, you never regress to behavior you thought you had stopped or anything. Never happens. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, really, bedtime consistency is, I think, the answer we also have to look, you know, if your 18-month-old is still taking two chunky naps, they're probably protesting bedtime because they're simply not tired. Or if your yeah. 18-month-old is in bed for 12, 13 hours at night with one nap, again, the same thing. Our average 24-hour period sleep at that age is 11 to 14 hours. So we want to be right. mindful. So I think that's a really important point because... um you know, you think to yourself, oh, man, my kid used to be sleeping a ton and, mm-hmm. you know, they need that much sleep. Well, maybe when bedtime is starting to become an issue, it's a good time to just pause and go back to that handy chart on 
how much sleep does a baby need and say, okay, are, what range are we in? All right. So I'm within the range, but I'm on the high side of the range. Mm-hmm. So maybe we need to adjust things. And, you know, when we chat back and forth here as admins and also in the group, I, I always kind of come back to this guideline that if bedtime is involving 20 minutes or more of, you know, lying there awake, not falling asleep or crying before falling asleep, then, Mm -hmm. then the schedule needs to be adjusted within 20 minutes. You should be able to, your kids should be able to fall asleep nicely. Mm -hmm. So this might be a matter where you need to cut back on sleep a little bit. And as painful as people think that this sounds Capping the nap is often a good thing. So Ashby, in your experience, what kind of um, interval between wake up from nap and bedtime did you find optimal? Uh, At 18 months, probably around six hours. I would say, you know, we were getting up at two, going to bed at eight, I would say. That's six hours. Yes. That right, so you need to make that plan. Like if you think, if you think, okay, you know, maybe he's sleeping... 12 hours at 18 mm-hmm. months, right? If two yeah. of those hours are going into nap time, then you're only going to get about 10 hours of night right. sleep. So I always come back to that 11 to 14 hours in a 24 hour period figure. And I think a lot, you know, that's lower than a lot of people, are, I think, expect and hope. Because that's, you know, if your kid's taking that three hour nap, that leaves you at a very maximum 11 hours for nighttime. And it might only leave you with nine or 10. And that is a rare baby that's sleeping 14 hours when they're right. 18 yeah. months old. That's a huge amount of sleep, right? That's, I mean, on your day is 24 hours. That's a kid mm-hmm. who can only be awake for about 10 hours of the day, which, so yeah, that's a, that's a very sleepy child, but which is okay. And God that's bless okay. you for that. My God, how wonderful. But, you know, maybe your baby's on the <clears throat> shorter end of that at 11 hours. Maybe 12 hours is more average, right? So if they're taking a two-hour nap, then you can't expect more than 10 hours of sleep. So 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. That's a great night. for, And that might be a great incentive for you to say, hey, let's make that nap one hour, right? You know, yeah. 1 to 2 p.m. nap, 8 p.m. bedtime. Maybe they sleep till 7. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so what? Think, oh, go oh, ahead. Go. Well, no. If so, I think if the schedule is in order, you know, and we don't have too much sleep, and our sleep hygiene is good, and they're still protesting at bedtime, there's there's popping out of bed, then it really is a matter of boundaries. Your your child is, um, they, they you know at that point that they're capable of falling asleep alone. You know, they've shown you the skill before if you sleep trained or if you've kind of done some more gradual method to get independent sleep. Right. And the other thing is, I mean, in, in addition to boundaries, I guess I would say, because boundaries somehow sounds harsh to me, or like if you aren't sticking to your making boundaries, then you're kind of a failure as a parent or something. I, I feel like consistency, at the very least consistency, because we come back to this idea of sleep training, you know, it sounds harsh, like you do it to a dog, right? But this is what you do as a human to yourself too, all the time, Right. You know, you want to lose weight, you stick to a diet. It's a training regimen. You want to get stronger. You, you know, do a fitness regimen. It's all training, right? That's why I don't know why. I've I've never felt like boundaries or training is so harsh, but I guess that's because it seems like it has to be done in all of life. It's, yeah, you're, you're forming habits in a person, right? And we want 
to form good, positive habits, healthy habits in our kids. So that's what consistency to, in my mind really comes down to. And this is what was really hard for me was that at 18 months, I put my kid to bed. Um, honestly, my memories are just a lot more uh, sharp for the second one that mm-hmm. was more recent. But um, And she would either stand up and just be sobbing. Mm-hmm. You know, her body was just shaking, sobbing. And me, I couldn't let that just, okay, you're going to have to cry this one out. I couldn't do it. So my tactic was I would go down If she was standing up and crying, I would pick her up. I would pat her back. I would calm her. I would say, it's time to sleep. I'd put her down. If she was lying down and crying really, really loudly, I'd go into her room and I'd pat. I wouldn't pick her up, but I would pat her back. Or if she was standing, but not, but just crying and not, you know, shaking, crying, I would lay her back down without picking her up, pat her back, say, okay, it's bedtime. It's time to sleep. Words are really, really important at this age. Even if they're not talking to you a lot, they're understanding quite a bit. And that's part to me was part of that routine. Part of the consistency was to always use the words. It's bedtime now. It's time to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. sleep time is really important. Um, and honestly, it took me a, no more than three visits, but on average, it took three visits every night for, I want to say 10 days, you know, and at some point I felt like I, I wanted to kind of give up on this. I felt angry at some point, you know, like she's forcing me into this <laughs> up and down the stairs exercise that I really don't want to do at, you know, eight or eight thirty PM every night. But, um, but then it stopped, you know, then she was just done. I think she understood, okay, this really is bedtime and it doesn't matter how much I protest. I'm not, you know, rejoining the party upstairs. Okay. So Elizabeth, that yeah. sounds like it worked really well. But what if you're doing that and you have a kid that it's not three visits over 10 days, but it is 50 visits all the way until midnight for weeks and they're still protesting because we see that. We do. And actually, you know, I, I've definitely noticed people on their on the chat who say, um, or sorry, on the Facebook forum who say, you know, that visiting thing is not working for my kid. Mm-hmm. There are kids out there who, you know, the visits just ramp them up more. Right. They don't calm yeah. them down. And it just depends point, on the kid. It really does. Exactly. Reassess, you know. So it's hard as a parent to say, okay, my kid is, you know, shaking, sobbing, you know, not wanting to go to sleep. Well, just, you know, do the observation. If you go in, pick them up and lie them down, do they lie there quietly? Then that's working. That if working. they yep. cling to your arm and don't let you go, and, you know, then that's not a good approach. Not approach to me, in my mind, an approach that makes you sit in the room, stay in the room for an extended period of time. If the check and console, as they call it, isn't working, then don't continue doing it, yeah. you know, Yes, but but whatever it is you choose to do, stick with it. You know, yep. make that your consistency. Make that part of that schedule. Yeah. And I would say just be willing to consider extinction in those situations where your kid doesn't yes. respond to the checks. Because sometimes I almost think it, it just makes it harder and longer for the child. And they're clinging and shaking for four hours. You know, I'm not really sure that that's superior to a couple of nights of total extinction and then some improvement. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. I think that um, you really do have to kind of assess what's working or not working with your child. If it took me more than three visits, 
you know, Mm -hmm. over that time period, I definitely would have given up on it. And I would have considered, okay, what is it that we are not doing that we should have in play here? And so one of the things, you know, um, was that, you know, at that age, your kid's one and a half, they probably have something else in their crib, like some stuffed animals. My first had, you know, a lovey since a very young age that you know, is still his favorite one at seven years is falling to pieces. My second was not interested in a particular one, but she did at by 18 months have a bunch of stuffed animals in her crib. Yeah. And I would say, you know what? If you can't fall asleep, we're getting rid of all of these because they're just keeping you awake. I mean, it's not like a punishment, you know, like I'm taking away your best friend if you can't fall asleep. It's, you know, this is actually causing a hindrance to you. You're up and playing in your crib. That Mm -hmm. could be a problem. Cribs are for sleeping. I should mention that she was still in a crib at 18 months. Um, And, you know, there might be some other thing that's kind of tripping, tricking, tripping up the sleep at that point. And so this is where that conversation, having a talk about it during the day is also really important. Um, Understanding that boundaries aren't just this like horrible monster that, you know, rears its ugly head at night, but that are kind of consistent through the day. So, you know, have the conversation over lunch. And that's why there's a enormous proliferation of children's board books about going to bed. It's to facilitate that conversation during the day about what happens at bedtime. Oh, that's right. Right. You know, a part of your routine should be reading some books before bed and maybe the book before bed will be, you will mention how magical and wonderful sleep is. Right? <laughs> oh, I should confess, I did buy that bunny book. Remember that one that was oh, um, yeah. all the rage for a while? I just uncovered it the other day in my house that um, the one where you're supposed to read it and the um, the tone of your voice and all that stuff is, you know, uh, lulls them to sleep at some point. I think that yeah. was hilarious. So I read it exactly one time to my kids. And it didn't work. It did not put them to sleep. They were so curious about like, this is supposed to be putting me to sleep. But it's so it's anyway, it's and it's really boring to read, I should say, as a parent. who read, Maybe it does sleep work for some kids. And if it does, like, hey, make that part of your routine. Maybe, maybe it works for adults, not for kids. Anyway, Um, did you tell me, did you have any bumps? You know, do you remember any bumps? Um. You know, I, my kid is relatively mellow. So when there were bumps, I just kind of shut it down and did my five minutes of extinction and it was cool. So for me, it was never the hours and hours of shaking and screaming. It was more like the five minutes of screaming and done. And so I was comfortable just saying, well, you can deal with that. So I think that um, another interesting aspect is um, some people will mention from time to time, oh, you know, my child uh wakes up in the middle of the night you know crying and shaking and screaming. i think it's night terrors mm-hmm. and i think it's important to note here you know we can make a distinction between the crap that happens at bedtime um yeah. and things that, and how you can respond and and what happens in the middle of the night when they wake up crying because you thought definitely that you thought you were done with well let's just reassure people that before age three it's not what is considered to be night terrors. And we're not going to dive into the science of that, but let's just say that studies have shown that, that night terrors aren't, aren't a thing before a certain age. And, and at least, you know, two and a half, three, we can call that 
um, the cutoff. So how do you respond when your kid, you know, is sitting up in bed in the middle of the night crying and seemingly inconsolable? So I think that if it's just every once in a while, to me, that's just sort of part and parcel of having a kid. You know, they may have had a bit bad dream or not, or, you know, they may have passed gas and it hurt and it woke them up, you know, or it's a thunderstorm, who knows. And I think it's fine. Just go in, give a little consolation and do what you need to do. I think it's more when it becomes a pattern every night, multiple times a night that, um, that you need to look at troubleshooting a solution for that. And again... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. And, you know, number one thing to look at is if you have your kids in bed too early and you're expecting too long of a night, it may just be that they wake up and they're not quite tired enough to fall back to sleep if there's too much day sleep. I think, as Elizabeth, as you were saying before, it's probably a schedule or a consistency issue. So I had my first one definitely did a lot of sitting bolt upright in bed and just crying and seemingly unaware of me being there. Mm -hmm. And those I noticed after time, those things happened always and only on days that he was overtired. Okay. So if nap was really short, if we made bedtime later, because we had something exciting happening in the evening, that that overtiredness through the day kind of just manifest itself as as disrupted sleep at night. And Mm I mean, life happens and sometimes those things are going to happen. And so, I, you know, I think we should just, just come back to that notion of consistency. This is not a time where you're frantic, frantic and at your wit's end. You know, you're a parent and you're the one in charge and you say, okay, I can reassure you. I can console you. Everything's fine. Time to go back to sleep. Um, yeah. So bringing them into your bed is probably not a great idea because it's kind of rewarding the wake up. But I should say, I should confess that before we started this podcast, um, Ashby and I were chatting and I admitted that my children both um, between certain ages um, hopped into bed with us in the middle of the night. And that's certainly something that you can do, but you need to set boundaries for that as well. I think that the, the key there is if you're fine with it, it's fine. If you're not fine with it, then I wouldn't start. But in Elizabeth, in your case, it sounded like you were fine with it, and they kind of went right to sleep in bed, and so yeah, I mean, we wrong with it then. Size bed, and one of the reasons we got a king size bed was so that you know, if a kid needed to come into bed with us, it would be comfortable. You know, it's not like a ton of kicking. And but one thing that we established early on is if the kid is coming into bed with us and staying Mm -hmm. awake and wanting to play with our face or whatever was happening, right, right. then they go right back to their crib or right back to their bed. Yeah. yeah. Right? So That's a great no, way to do it. I think, you know, if you want to be in bed with us, that's fine, but you have to be asleep. And if not, then you can go mess around in your crib. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And sure. There's going to be protesting about that too, but you know, you like anything with parenting, you give a warning, Hey, you're right. not going to sleep. I want to sleep. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. If you don't go to sleep, you're going back to your crib, you know, yeah. and they understand that. And they, if you don't follow through, then, you know, that's got its own repercussions, right? right? So I want to move forward in time a little bit to age mm-hmm. two. And for us, I I should confess, I wonder that if this every six months interruption came because we were traveling about oh, every oh, six months. So winter break, summer break, we're usually traveling that usually involves some kind of, you know, bizarre situation around sleep and we'd come home and then there'd be some bedtime protests. But again, you know, back to home 
home turf, I think kids understand home turf follows a different set of rules than when you're traveling, but you just need to reestablish them as soon as you get home. But I want, I think that around age two is when my kids, both of them started with the, like, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fears do become real at a certain age, you know, and, and usually mm-hmm. it's past two. And that's something that you do have to deal with and you do have mm-hmm. to have a conversation about. Um, so try to get them to explain what their fears are. And for my son, you know, he just had some really simple ones. I'm scared of ghosts and made a box and it had some holes in it. And we put some candy in it and we called it the ghost vacuum. And we put it in his closet. And, you know, I said, you know, the ghost is going to want the candy when they get close. It's the the box will, you know, suck them inside. It's a ghost vacuum. And he fell for it. And it was fun. It was simple. He was kind of my simple one. My second one, just every, she came up with every single fear that was out there. You know, I just, I, gosh, she really challenged me with all of these things and they were very real to her, probably closer to age two and a half than three than age two, um, which was a simpler one to transition out of that, that bump in the road. But, you know, we tried monster spray. We tried, I put some garlic around her bed. We tried all kinds of bizarre things, got my son involved. You know, he came up with his ideas too. Um, and none of them were helping. And I, it ended up turning out that she just wanted some more light in the room at bedtime. And, you know, winter in Alaska is really dark and we live oh, yeah. out in the countryside and there's just absolutely no light, you know, from outside coming in after, you know, 3 p.m. or something. Um, so we had one small light nightlight and we just we got a second nightlight and that seemed to help quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, I think ultimately with the fears, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the monster spray. I mean, if it works, it works. It's great. But I think our ultimate goal is to reassure them that these things that they're afraid of are not actually there and that they can cope with that fear of the thing that's not real. And I think sometimes a little too much of the monster spray or monster box type of thing reinforces there are monsters. It's real. So I completely agree with you. And I struggled with this. I don't know if you remember back in those days, I'd come on, you know, I'd come on to oh, the yeah. admin <laughs> chat and be like, what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. And I agree, you know, you're, you're kind of telling them, Hey, yeah, monsters are real. And this is how we deal with it. But I, I ended up thinking that to them, monsters are real, you know, and it doesn't matter how many times you tell them monsters are not real. To them, they are real. But the real problem is that the monster spray was not working for her. This was not. Right. And if it's, again, if it's working, it's working. But I actually kind of, we can um, disagree on this one a little because I say that I think when I remember as a kid, if my parents thought something was real, I mean, it was just a hundred times realer than it was before. My little pretend games on my own, they were very real to me. And I knew they were probably deep down kind of knew they were fake. But if a parent reinforces that, then, I mean, that is your omnipotent foundation there when you're a kid, your parents. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is that a, a bunch of kids' books have monsters in them. They're oh, always yeah. friendly I, I can't stand that. Don't plant the idea. <laughs> so, but actually, I feel like that helped a little bit, reading the books where there were friendly monsters. Monsters oh, don't yeah, have sure. to be a bad thing, you know? Um, but it was, you know, it's, I think, really just generally a fear of the dark, you know? 
So you're going to sleep. You're scared of things that might be out there in the dark. Um, but I, I also want to say that that in during these struggles, Alexis helped me immensely during these struggles because she came up with which, what I think is just a brilliant idea, which is the short-term bribe. Because at mm-hmm. the time, you know, mm-hmm. age two, two and a half, or even three, I was saying, okay, if you can stay in your bed and go to sleep on your own without crying for a week, then you get, you know, this stuffy or something you have your eye on. I think Alexis calls it a bed buddy, a new bed buddy. Um, which, you know, what kid doesn't want something new, whatever it is they want, you know, maybe they want, um, they want to go have lunch with you at Denny's or something, whatever it is, you can have this long-term bribe. You can make a sticker chart an award chart. People do that too. Um, but having that target of the next day, man, that really worked. So at bedtime, mm-hmm. I said, hey, you know what? If you could go to sleep tonight without crying for me, tomorrow morning, let's make pancakes for breakfast. That was Alexis' yeah. idea. My daughter goes, I want macaroni and cheese. Mm. <laughs> hey, man, I will make you macaroni That's and cheese for sure, breakfast. No problem. But yeah. give, give them that short term. And if I can do this tonight, I'll get something in the morning. It was genius. Um, and then after that works, you say, Hey, look at that. You know, you were able to do that. And I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. You know, make them proud of themselves. And then, and then you come back with, okay, well, let's try that again tonight. And if we can do it, maybe gauge your own child, but maybe they need to do it for three days. They need a kind of intermediate goal, then give them something immediate. Well, maybe we can make cookies together or something. And then a longer term goal of a week or two weeks. My kind of failure at that point was that she really had her eye on this stuffy that I had to order. It was one of these beanie boos. And it took, I want to say three weeks for this damn thing to finally show up. (laughs) Um, So I think she was kind of giving up hope that this was ever going to happen. But having the short term goals, having the conversations, keeping the boundaries, those things were all really important. Um, And... Hey, should we talk about just touch on briefly the dreaded transition from a crib into a bed? Because that yep. ended up helping us at, at age three and a half, as it turned out. So, yeah, we know that kids, little kids have very low impulse control. So when you transition an 18-month-old to a toddler bed, I mean, in in the majority of cases, you're going to be dealing with an 18-month-old that's popping up and down out of bed in and out. And I think a lot of people get that and they don't want to transition, but they feel like their hand is forced because the child is climbing out of the crib. So I think there are a couple of solutions to the climbing out of the crib thing, because certainly it's definitely not safe. They're climbing out of the crib, fall on the ground, crash. It's a long way down. Um, There's those sleep sacks, and they're essentially like a zip-up sleeping bag that goes around their legs. And for some kids, that's enough to really prolong the day when they will be able to successfully climb out of the bed because now they can't, their legs can't separate completely. So they can't really hoist one leg like up over the rail in the same way that they could in their jammies. Um, But I think another solution is if your kid is just like a real monkey that can climb out of anything, no matter what outfit they're wearing. I like the idea of making the whole room a crib. I don't think this is like for everyone, but uh, some people do put a toddler, a mattress on the floor, baby proof the heck out of the room. And now your room is the crib. So they could choose, you put them in there at night, you create a, maybe a baby gate, a, a barrier as a crib is a barrier. And you know, that's at that point, it's their choice where to sleep. They can sleep on the floor. They can sleep on that 
mattress. Um, it does seem like people do have some success with that when they really have a dedicated climber. Yes, I know. I never had the courage to do that, but I definitely, between you and Melissa, I know that that worked really well for you. Um, my kids were kind of opposite in their approach at, at mm-hmm. bedtime when they moved to the bed. My son was, you know, we moved him for all the wrong reasons, right? We had a second <laughs> baby coming and we'd just been on vacation where we didn't have access to a crib. So he, he was in a bed. Um, so we came home and said, oh, let's continue that. We yeah. kept the crib up, though, um, in the room. And we said, oh, you know, you're a big boy now. You get this bed. It was a it was a mattress on the floor, actually, mm-hmm. just in mm-hmm. case it rolled out. You know, it was, wasn't far to roll. Um, but and then I the and the crib was in the room because baby was coming in six months or something. Right. Um, and we wanted him to get to used to the fact that that crib, you know, wasn't really his anymore. Um, but he but we'd say, you know what? If you can't go to sleep in your bed, not a big deal. You know, let's just go back to the crib. That's fine. I mean, it was kind of like a threat to him. Yeah. yeah. Want to be a baby again. Um, My second one. He's motivated to not be in the crib. That's a great option. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was, he was the pop up and down three times at bedtime every night till Mm -hmm. he was almost six, you know, so I don't know why magic three is the magic number for me. Three is the number I can deal with. You know, yeah. we did a classic thing. Take his hand, walk him back to bed soundlessly. You know, I would even say to him, I'm not talking to you right now. It's bedtime. And he would be holding my hand and sobbing. Why aren't you talking to me? Yes. You know, well, I think you know the drill. And again, um, I think that walking silently back to the room is a great thing. But if you find that it's day 10 and you're still taking 100 trips back to the room, then it's too much reinforcement of the behavior for that kid. Yeah, I I know there are people who just lock the door, you know, from the outside and say, okay, you know, they're in there. Like you said, that kind of room is the crib. And room is the crib. Just, I don't know. I never, well, I couldn't, I didn't want to f- figure out the logistics of it, but also I don't, I don't, it's not, I didn't have the heart for it. What, I don't think it's cruel. I really don't. And it works for some people, but I just personally, I was, I guess so I was just to reassure our listeners who think now that they're the heartless one, cause they do want to do that. I would totally have the heart for that. If it were me, it wasn't necessary for us, but if it was, I would lock the heck out of that room. I mean, to me, it's like, I mean, I would give some appropriate parenting intro to the concept but you know if you can't stay in bed the door gets shut no big deal so yeah i mean I yeah, you're right. it's all in your approach yeah. no big deal it's not no a big, big deal. deal and it's a, cri- a crib is a cage i mean it is right it's yeah it's way to confine a child who's not old enough and responsible enough to be crawling around the house at night and you know just like the, the room i mean it's they're safe it's comfortable we're not putting them out in the dog pen you know outside so right. it's fine you can, <laughs> well, lie, you can shut the door too, right if you can't sleep in your room well we'll put you out in the doghouse in the backyard <laughs> yeah, high incentive um well my second one luckily was different she was never a pop upstairser, but i think that that might be be because she stayed in her crib very happily in her crib until she was three and a half i almost yeah. had to kind of bribe her out of it you know at that point again we're having sleep issues again at bedtime and and so I said you know what maybe it's time to make this into a big girl bed and she wanted to give it a try and after the very first night she was begging me for her crib back which Hmm. at that point well you know it involved some work right 
because mm-hmm. we had one of those convertible, it converts to a toddler bed. And, mm-hmm. and so then I had to offer her incentives to stay in the bed and not want the the crib back again. But she, even after given that freedom, she would never come upstairs. And even to this day, a year later, even if she wants something, she'll just walk to the foot of the stairs and yell upstairs. For some reason, it's like this invisible boundary for her. She'll never come upstairs. That's funny. I mean, hey, yeah, the kids are very different, but sounds like you had approaches that worked for both of them. So I, I did want to, like, I, we're kind of at 30 minutes now. It's a great time to wrap up, yeah. but I wanted to mention to offer one other trick that worked really well for me mm-hmm. or her and probably would have for my first one too, if I'd known about it at the time. And that is that at bedtime, you know, I would tuck her in and if she was, you know, clinging to me and saying, don't go, you know, crying, any kind of thing like that, I would say, you know what, it's bedtime. It's time to sleep. Continue saying that, you know, five years later, I've been saying it for years. Um, But I would say, hey, you know what, if you can lie down in your bed nicely and quietly, I will come back in five minutes. Yeah. Head pads. I offer head pads, you know, whatever it is you your child might want, maybe hold your hands or something like that. But I offer head pads. You want me to come back in five minutes and pat your head? Yes, yes. Okay, then lie here quietly and go to sleep nicely. And if you can't, I won't be back. But for her, you know, guaranteed it worked every single time. And I yeah. I would come back in five minutes and I would pat her head. And she was fine with that. That was re- all that she needed. I can remember my parents doing a, a very similar thing growing up and it, and it worked. And it worked. And if for if your kid, you go back in five minutes and they're still kind of clinging to you, then say, hey, you know what? I can come back in 10 minutes. Do you want me to come back in 10 minutes? And a lot and- of kids are going to fall asleep eventually before... One of those checks too. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, maybe don't get go upstairs and get started on a movie or something like that. Maybe, yes. you know, go over to your room and fold some clothes and you can come back in five minutes and then make it another 10 minutes. And if they're still not asleep, which by then maybe um, you could reassess your sleep schedule because it's getting close to that 20 minute mark. You can offer, you know, 15 minutes. I'll come back. You want me right. to check in? you one more time and it's kind of a great way for them to learn time they don't know time at that age Mm -hmm. yet at age two or something um so they're understanding that when you're when a parent says i'll be back that they will be back they learn to trust you and that's part of a routine and to this day i mean i don't come back in five minute intervals anymore but when we we lie down together at bedtime and i'll lie in bed with my kids for a couple minutes and pat their head i give them 20 pats (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know it's so terrible. Like I count, you know, like 19, 20. Okay, we're done. Um, and then, and then it's, you know, well, lights are already out, but then it's, right. it's good night, you know, sleep well, sweet dreams. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. Bedtime is an amazing thing, you know, and if we make it, if we make it seem ugly for our kids then they're going to dread it. Right. Right. So right. We not have to project that it's positive. We think it's positive. Yeah. This is, you know, for you, for your growing body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on with us today, Elizabeth. Um, I think we did a good overview of that kind of tricky little toddler era, the between um, preschooler and not so much a baby anymore, period. And I think in the future, you know, we can touch on some of these topics. Well, I not touch mm-hmm. on, but we can go more into depth in some of these topics. Like, oh, yeah. 
talk more about, you know, night terrors and, and fears. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about potty training. Potty training and bedtime is, is kind of a big thing. That's a whole podcast there. Yeah. Yep. Whole podcast on that one. Um, the pacifier, if the pacifier is still in play at bedtime, you know what to do about that. So those are things that we'll definitely hit on in future podcasts. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, stay tuned for podcasts in the future. I know we're hoping to cover some things about travel as the summer in the Northern Hemisphere up here approaches. I know a lot of you will want to listen to that. So have a good day.